Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we are joined by friend of the pod, Bebe Montoya, a multidisciplinary artist out of Portland, Oregon, USA. We discuss being working artists, the pathway from identitarianism to socialism, and why there's still hope for Portland. So welcome back to fucking canceled. Welcome back to fucking canceled. Today we are joined by friend of the pod, baby Montoya. Hello. Hi, great to see both of you. Yeah, you too. Great to have you on the pod. So nice to have you. Um, Yeah, we're stoked for this interview. Um, Would you, Bebe, like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Bebe. I'm an artist and writer based in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Cancel capital, (laughs) definitely the West Coast. I don't know. Yeah, uh, we're honestly, I think it might be the cancel capital of the world or universe. That's <laughs> so sad. <laughs> um, yeah, so yep, I'm out here. Uh, I yeah, have been making art for a really long time in a bunch of different mediums. Uh, it's a magical chaos tornado of clay and zines and art print and music um and I've been yeah just a full-time working artist for going on two years now amazing yeah Yeah, so I first found your work I don't even know how I found you on Instagram actually but somehow or another I found you on Instagram I tagged you okay you tagged me (laughs) it was like it was like me for the first time posting on Instagram about like I'm scared but I really cancel culture is bad you guys uh <laughs> this is a person who was very influential go check out their work and yeah yeah and I was really struck by your clarity as a writer like you're very clear and Thank I really you. appreciate that um and obviously your courage in tackling all of these topics but I also really appreciate how you are like so clear and we'll get into this I'm sure in the questions but like just you're so clear about how you're an artist and how you're like I don't really fucking want to talk about cancel culture it's like very annoying to even have to be talking about this um and you're always talking about like do you love me for my art or for my big booty cancel culture takes or whatever yes oh my god Which I think is really funny. Um, but yeah, Bebe was on tour with us. We uh, When we did our event in Portland, um, you were one of the speakers, which was really, really cool. And we all got to meet in person. And Kira was also there, who mm-hmm. has been on the podcast as well. And also our friend Roger. So that was a fucking awesome event. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Um. So let's talk a little bit about art because it's so important to you. And yeah. Um, you talk a lot about art and also about why artists deserve to make a living. You want to talk a little bit about being a working artist and and what that means? Yeah. Um, so I'm someone who the first thing I ever wanted to be when I grew up was a writer. Uh, Mm. and so this was like a desire for me that, uh, was, you know, very, very consistent from a young age. And yet, uh, I didn't really go for it until about two years ago. And, uh, you know, for a combination of reasons, but maybe the main two uh, were, one, the state of the art world in all of the different mediums is so fucked up and I feel full of despair and can't see a way forward to, um, to just, yeah, make that my living. Um, sorry. Can you hear my dog scratching in the background? You're good. Okay. He's just like really trying to dig a hole. He's seven pounds and cannot. Yeah. Anyways. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So despair. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, full of despair. 
yeah and so just kind of letting the the state of uh the you know art under capitalism make it feel impossible to pursue that so that was one part of it and then another part of it was kind of like a who the fuck do I think I am Mm. that I could possibly think that I could be an artist and that like I could deserve to make money that way of all of the things to be in the world and like all of the people in the world just a a deep sense of kind of self-doubt and judgment and um uh, unworthiness and obviously I did take the plunge and you know I'm uh I'm nearing two years of just fucking uh going for it with my art um and I had to really get over those those two things um to get to where I am and I think that has given me some insight into the special uh neurotic brain labyrinths that a lot of artists or aspiring artists have um who you know in their heart of hearts really want to be making art really want to be going down that path and it just feels impossible um and I love art and I love artists and so you know if I can just be someone who's like I don't know what I'm doing but I'm out here doing it so uh maybe you can too and Mm. I don't know I that would be uh very special to me so yeah I love your transparency with the process um, because I think that it helps people to kind of get inside, like not just the art itself, but like what it means to actually be an artist and to do that work. And I talk to a lot of people who are sort of in that place of wanting to take the plunge or just like wanting to make their creative work a bigger part of their lives. And that question of like, who am I to get to be a writer or get to be an artist is such a frequent one. And I think that like, well, first of all, we have such a dysfunctional relationship with artists culturally, you know, yes. and like cancel culture is a part of that where, where they're both like pedestalized, but also just like torn down. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. also this idea that like everybody either wants to be an artist or should want to be an artist. And it's funny mm-hmm. because it's not true. Like, I think that like artists, like the fact that you were like, oh God, like I want to be an artist. It's like, well, that was the experience that, that was the experience that you were having. And it's so easy to believe that therefore everybody else does too, because we have this weird relationship where artists are so important, but also so like whatever, dehumanized in that. And I think there's a lot of people who think they want to be artists who don't actually desire the experience of being an artist. There's this guy, he, he's like a self-help writer guy, and he he wrote, he wrote this book called um, Unfuck Your Life, I think it's called, or mm-hmm. Unfuck Your... I might be getting his his book name wrong, so sorry if I did. I'll look it up after and put it in the show notes. But anyway, his name's Mark Manson. Um, and he talked about how he used to think that he wanted to be a musician, like a like a rock star. And he like, as when he was young, he spent all this time just like, oh yeah, like I really want to be a musician. But then he realized like he hated making music. <laughs> <laughs> he like actually hated the amount of time it takes to like actually sit there like fucking practicing and like doing all the things oh like lugging gear and like all the unglamorous stuff that is involved in being a, a musician you know but he all he was just sort of glamorizing the fame and then he's like oh shit I never actually wanted to be a musician right and I think it's true with writers and artists too it's like I often want to like you know when I'm like hauling boxes of photocopies and like like at the post office again and like doing all this unglamorous work I want to be like this is what it is to be a writer you know um yes it's not just like the the big booty anti-cancel culture takes (laughs) that is that's so interesting um and I was I mean it's so funny because I was just like I was making a meme the other day that was like you know the brain exploding and like expanding into Mm. consciousness meme and it was like uh wanting to make art and then it was like uh, wanting to be I don't know it was like wanting to be an artist but not wanting to make art and just like the just how those things are different Mm. and like sometimes you are an artist but you don't want to make your art sometimes you think you want to make art but like you actually don't sometimes you want to be an artist without actually doing the the Mm. work of like making the art yeah. It's just, yeah, there are, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of cultural and like personal baggage uh, wrapped up into like being an artist, but 
also the thing is like if you never try something how will you know if that is actually your desire like I think you just have to fucking try it yeah what I say to people because sometimes I do this work talking to people about this stuff and and what I say about writing anyway like I focus more on writing but I think it's probably true for artists too is like a writer is not a writer because they write. A writer is a writer because they feel fucked up about writing. And yes, I think that that's what it is because it's like, even this guy who's like fantasizing about being a musician or whatever, he's not feeling fucked up about being a musician. He just like wants mm. to be a musician, but like actual, I don't know about if it's true for musicians, but it could very well be. They're all fucked up about it. Like writers are all fucked up about it. Yeah, They're like, like oh God, I, I love writing. I hate writing. I'm not writing. I should be writing. I definitely yes. want to be writing. I, I, I can't stop writing. My writing sucks. I, I don't deserve to be a writer, like whatever. Yes. And I'm like, people who aren't writers do not spend this much time thinking about it. Like, I think also like a lot of people um, believe that their art or their writing is only legit if they're not getting paid for it. Um, you know what I mean? It's like the, the idea of getting paid for your art is sort of like weirdly like, like scary to people or like, you mm. know, they, they believe that like they don't deserve to be paid for it or like whatever. Um, and you've written about how, like actually artists like should be able to live <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and getting paid yes. for your art is not like a bad thing. It doesn't make you a bad person. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, and uh, uh, I absolutely have, I'm not even going to pretend that I don't still have those hangups around, you know, making money through my art because I 100 million percent still do. Um, but something that helped me think about it differently was just like really examining the like, the economic structures of the art industry mm -hmm. of the various art industries where like artists are told that we should care so much about the like just essential whatever value of our work that we shouldn't care about money and that it's dirty to want to make money from our art meanwhile there are these like sprawling industries that spring up around these various mediums of art that are making these like select few people at the top super fucking rich mm. off of art and artists aren't getting paid for that. And so it's just like such a fucking self-defeating uh, narrative. And it, it also just, you know, fucking capitalism. It just it, it is not a narrative that serves most artists. And yeah, so I, I really want to push back against that um, just yeah. generally and also in the minds of artists of like, no fuck that like they want you to believe that because then it's easier to make money off of you mm -hmm. i feel like in the western tradition there's this um there's this thing where artists for a really long time were uh, they had like a patron right yes. like if you made it as an artist it was because some rich guy like paid you to like live in his attic and like paint stuff for him or the whatever, dream you know <laughs> Um, and, and so, and, but if, if that's the case, you don't really have to worry about like selling stuff, which is, you know, not what an artist is supposed to be concerned with. The artist just like is so good that he gets, or she gets like picked up or they get picked up by, um, by a rich guy, you know, and then you can just, you have your, you have your like, um, art daddy dom and you can just live <laughs> in the attic, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess that's sort of like what that's literally what patreon is like attempting to replicate for people that's why they call it that right patrons right. and stuff like that um because it's like the idea that like the work is not just the finished product but the work is the entire process that goes into it and like we are expected to get paid like just through the finished process but like we somehow have to live as we also create the art yeah, yeah. so i think yes. there's some like there's some hang-ups about that for sure that people have but it's interesting because now like these days um I, like very 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 few artists are in a situation like that you know and there's yeah. actually like quite a different situation which has popped up which is that artists um independent artists are often really expected to behave as though they are celebrities or brands mm -hmm. um what's that about like you've you've written about this a bit can you can you talk about that yes it's it's so fucking nuts. Um, and it's something that I didn't really appreciate, honestly, until maybe about a year ago, which is when I released my first zine. Um, and when I started really kind of going hard on social media to promote that. Um, and suddenly, like, people were just, uh, like, interacting with me 
online in just like really fucking weird ways that had never happened before. And it was just like, I don't know. It Honestly, I still have a lot of cognitive dissonance because I would never dream of treating someone the way that people <laughs> approach me. I'm like, yeah. I don't even know if I can explain it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think um, social examples? media, I mean, you know, a comment section, I think, is one that uh, definitely comes up a lot. And I know that you both have had your own trials and tribulations with uh, just people being fucking wild about the comment section. But um, <laughs> yeah, just like people projecting a lot of shit and not understanding like how much of a psychic toll it is to put your work out there on like a platform and have it be seen by like hundreds or sometimes thousands of people and some of those people have like been with you and they know what you're about and they're like fuck yeah and they're right there with you and then a lot of them are just like maybe they've never seen your work before they have no Mm. idea who you are and they're just coming at it with like zero context and they might you know ask a question that you have been asked a million times that is just like super, super basic. And maybe you had the patience to explain it uh, the first 17 times, but then the 18th time, you're just like, man, I really don't want to talk about this anymore. And it, it just takes time and energy or like people just, just like wildly misinterpreting what you said and then getting mad at you for like their own, unique personal misinterpretation and like then getting mad at you for deleting their comment because you're like well I'm not gonna engage but like maybe I don't need to block this person I'll just delete it and go on with my day and then you're like I noticed you deleted my comment (laughs) that's interesting because you say that you believe in dialogue but here you are (laughs) silencing la 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 and it's just like no dude I'm just not trying to live like 90% of my life staring at this little fucking screen like I have other things to do yes and you know what what I just made a post about this but like one of the things that like frustrates me so much about that what you just described is like a writer's job like is to communicate clearly right and so like when you have worked very hard to communicate very clearly and precisely about something right and you and you do understand that many people do not have a high level of reading comprehension and I don't say that as a diss it's just true right? It's like not everybody does have a high level of reading comprehension. And so you've worked very hard to try to clearly articulate something that not only might it be difficult for people to understand, but also that it flies in the face of like certain hegemonic ways of thinking or certain like mainstream dominant ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. So they're emotionally going to have a hard time hearing it because it's Mm -hmm. different from what they're usually hearing. So you're trying to make it easy on them to be able to understand this different and new perspective. And you've worked very hard and crafting your sentences very carefully so that they can understand it. And then a person comes in there and then basically like represents what you said completely incorrectly and then argues with that. So they've basically like, you know, when you, when you're in making an argument, you're supposed to like put the, the, the thing you disagree with in your own words and then be like, okay, this is what I'm disagreeing with and why. But when they put it in their own words, they get it completely wrong. And then they start arguing with their own incorrect like interpretation of it. And then everybody sees the incorrect interpretation And then they start being like, maybe that is what the person is saying. So it literally erodes the meaning of like what your post is saying. And it literally makes it harder for people to understand. So it's like actually undermining the job that you're doing because the job that you're doing is to be clear. And this person is making it less clear for people because they're like muddying the waters with their own poor comprehension skills. And so then you're left in the position of either explaining it to them and like unpacking why what they said doesn't make sense, which is time consuming and annoying. And also they're probably going to get mad about it or deleting it so that it's simply just more clear for people. And people are always so smug and they think that like, they, they like, gotcha, you know, they're like, Mm -hmm. I actually, you haven't considered this. And I'm like, oh, I've considered it. (laughs) It just doesn't make any fucking sense. Oh God. I mean, that's such a good way to put it. Um, because you're, I mean, yeah, exactly. People don't realize like it's, I don't know. It's just, it's so much more complicated to figure out, you know, boundaries around comment sections and 
people aren't going to know 99% of the reasons why people, for example, delete a comment. Mm -hmm. And it's really not often, at least for me, and it sounds like also not for you, it's not just like some knee-jerk mad response. It's just like, you know what? This is like the gentlest form of Mm non-engagement I can give right now. I'm just going to do that. And it's like you said, it's like, okay, like I'm not going to block this person, but I'll just like, I'll delete the comment, you know? And then they're like, I noticed that you deleted the comment. It's like, you noticed, did you? Like what you didn't you didn't catch the hint that I was trying to put across, you know? Um God, yeah, but the people just like arguing with themselves because they don't understand yeah. like what you're saying. It's like, I don't know, it's like somebody with like a trash can on their head, sort of like wandering around screaming, like you know, like in, just walking around in circles yelling at themselves. Um oh but uh yeah, you know, but it's true, you know, like um and I think that to get back to the celebrities and brands mm-hmm. thing, like basically celebrity is like we all understand that they're not going to fucking reply to your comment yes. because they yeah. live on an, an another world right they live like on uh mount olympus with the rest of the gods and like if we just like say whatever we want like it doesn't matter it doesn't affect them so we can have our like insane like tantrums about who they date and we can mm-hmm. you know whatever all this kind of shit all the ways that we like behave around celebrities um and then there's brands where we we might expect them to respond um with a pr department right yeah like, we're like i'm gonna leave a bad review and then mm-hmm. we expect someone to be like oh we're very sorry about your experience uh we've fired all the cashiers and uh whatever you know um and yeah and then so basically people take that attitude and bring it to you know some random sort of like working artist who has like a couple of sculptures and a couple of zines and like a mm. maybe like a gallery show or something like that. And they're just like, I noticed that something you said reminded me of something that you didn't say. <laughs> and I'm quite angry about that. Uh- <laughs> right. How are you going to be accountable? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I might just delete your comment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the, I, I think that that's a great point. Both of those kind of differences that you pointed out, Jay, um, of just, right, celebrities being like, having just so much wealth and influence that, uh, you know, their fans or whatever, people who engage with their work uh, do just have this, I don't know, right, and that's a whole other topic of just like the the wild ways that people uh, act towards celebrities, but um, yeah, just uh, people people kind of understand on some levels that, right, they're kind of untouchable. They just, they they have the wealth and the power um, that, and obviously like independent, or maybe it's not obvious, independent artists don't fucking have that, you know? No, we we yeah. really don't have that same kind of like influence or connection or social safety net. Um, and it's really fucking unfair to, I don't know, uh, act in those same ways. And then with brands, right? Like the whole PR department, we don't fucking have that. The vast majority of us, it's just, we're just like a single human being, like making our art, but then also trying to promote our art and like share on social media and all of these things pulling us in a million directions at the same time. Um, that like, no, we're not always going to have the capacity to like behave in whatever perfect way you think would be appropriate for us. Mm-hmm. We're just fucking people, dude. Yeah. I've gotten emails that are like, dear Clementine and team. And I'm like, LOL, uh, there is no team. <laughs> like, it's just me mean, in the background, right? like in my underwear. It's like Clover. Like, yeah. Right, <laughs> your dog. <laughs> um. Okay, so... Uh, you've also talked about the the need for art to be like messy or to, for people to have space to explore ideas and concepts mm-hmm. and to not be stuck into a rigid box. So what do you think is going on that is causing so many people to feel like they have to produce boring and sanitized art? Yeah, um, if anyone listening follows me on social media, you probably know that this is a huge, huge fucking pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. It is so fucking annoying. And yeah, just the, this wild expectation that um, art should align and regurgitate your specific you know, ideological frame of reference. And that if it doesn't do that, it's like a total affront to all that's good in the world. Mm-hmm. And that it, it needs to be like right on the nose, straight as an arrow. Like if there's any ambiguity or if there's a character that does some fucked up shit, then like that's 
the artist is bad and obviously believes that it's okay to like do all of that. Um, and it's just wild and it's a complete misunderstanding in my opinion of just the nature of art and uh, what art is supposed to do in the world. Um, and I think it just, you know, it comes from, uh, I, I think the reason why people feel hemmed in to the point of making just very bland, straightforward on the nose, uh, woke ideological art is the same reason why there's like, whatever, fucking Christian, like mm. TV programs and super bland music. That's just like, basically, uh, Sunday school for adults. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's the same impulse. Totally. Um, yo, baby, did you see this fucking thing that happened? Um, I think I sent it to you, Clementine, but there was this like American uh, author, I think some lady, I think maybe she wrote Twilight, possibly like one of these sort of like these, these books that like, you know, made somebody a lot of money. Um, and basically she recently wrote a book that's, that was like set in Russia. Oh my um, God. This was and, the Eat, Pray, Love woman. Oh yeah, that's her. That's her. I don't know why I thought I it was Twilight. Um, whatever. It's the same shit to me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And then like, I guess like you, like people with like Ukrainian flags in their bios were like, this is bad because it's set in Russia. And she like releases this like video where she very like soulfully is like, I've heard what the community has told me. And I've decided that it would be unconscionable to release a book in any book into the world at this time that is set in Russia. Um, like literally because like, like Russia is like currently engaged in a war or whatever. And I'm like, can we, can we just like imagine if we take this concept to its logical conclusion and like apply that logic to like all art and publication? It's like, it's like the most insane thing I've actually ever seen come out of the art world, you know? Um, but I'm just like, there's like, what, you know, that actually happened. Like, that's like a real thing that actually happened. Like she like, she like pulled her own book because it was set in a country that I guess we've like canceled like Russia. Like, I don't know. Uh. Oh my God. I did see that. And it's just, it is, it's fucking wild. Um, and, and it's also just like the people who have the energy and give a shit enough to like give that author a hard enough time that she pulls her book are probably not the ones who are like suffering the most in this military conflict that is ongoing. Oh. I don't think the people who are actually no. like yeah. struggling give a fuck about this random book that's like, and it's not even set in like, you know, modern day Russia. It's set like in a historical period. It's set in the USSR, which Ukraine <laughs> was also part of. So technically Jesus. it's set in Ukraine. But <laughs> Dude. Yeah, it's just, well, right, and uh, imagining if it was, if that logic was applied to everything, basically we would have no art because human suffering is just always Universal. going to be present. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so if it's not okay to make art ab about topics that are actively causing people suffering, then I guess, yeah. bye, I don't know, none of us get to make our art. Yeah, that was like one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, it's really crazy. Okay, speaking of which, though, because all this was going down on, like, Twitter, um, you've been very critical of the role that social media plays in people's lives. Um, what do you think people lose when they experience the world through social media? Yeah, and I mean, that's a great way to put it, right? Like, experience the world through social media, because at its worst, I think it's like, it's like a simulation, it's a simulation of real life experiences that we, that are important, you know, like being out in the world or having social interactions or like, you know, catching up with a friend or, you know, uh, political action and organizing all of these things kind of like have their social media, uh, simulated mm -hmm. counterpoint that, um, social media is just so prevalent and it, I think it's easy to start mistaking kind of the representations of these things um, as the things themselves and it's mm. both like very sad to think about as a human being and also just dangerous from a political standpoint like if we really actually believe that like posting infographics is 
meaningful political action and that that's like the thing that we need to be doing um then we're fucked yeah (laughs) seriously yeah it produces such a profound alienation um and like there's this movie jay saw it first and then told me about it and you should definitely watch it baby if you haven't seen it it's called tomorrow ever after have you seen that I haven't. Okay, you should definitely watch it. I don't want to give too much away on the podcast, but I want to give a shout out to this movie and tell people to watch it because it really blew my mind. But basically the premise is is that someone from the future comes back to like 2015, you know, and it's basically just looking at alienation and like this girl from the future like does not understand what's going on and she's like trying to get something and she's like well we'll just go ask the person living across the hall. Like so she says it to this guy who lives in an apartment and and he's like I don't and she's like, what's the person's name? And he's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know them. And she's like, what do you mean you don't know them? You guys live together. And it's like, and he's like, we don't live together. And she's like, you live yeah. together. Like, what? <laughs> you know, and it's like, she like is from some sort of obviously like utopian, like post-capitalist future. And she's like absolutely shocked at the ways that the humans who are together don't know each other. And like, she's like, have yes. you felt your, like, her, like, cause this guy does have a roommate. She's like, have you felt his back? It's really tense. And he's like, no, I haven't felt my roommate's back. And she's like, you live with him and you've never felt his back. <laughs> and it's like, she's like, really, I love that. <laughs> like, really, really like shocked by this, you know? And like, just like, she's, it's like this, this thing. She's, there's like an image of like two people, like sitting on a park bench, both of them on their phones. And she's talking about just like how two human beings are sitting next to each other. And both of them are acting like they're alone um mm-hmm. it's like very oof, you know like it gave me feelings so definitely everybody go watch that movie but I feel like that is such a like social media and like what you're talking about plays into that so much the alienation and the the sense that like because those two people sitting alone on their phones are probably talking to people on their data right the little jibber jabber box you know <laughs> and it's like in their little jibber jabber box they're talking to someone else maybe fighting with someone else probably in a different country <laughs> oh my God. that they believe is like their community but the person who's sitting next to them who probably like lives on their block they just don't know their name and have never introduced themselves so yes that's so real uh I'm definitely gonna check out that movie that sounds great uh and I honestly have very mixed feelings about um just the reality that like my work as an artist and as an independent artist requires me to be on social media actually like a lot Mm -hmm. and yeah I'm curious uh, you know both of your perspectives on that just like these huge tech platforms not aligning with you know your values and yet you need to be there Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. We have so many feelings about this. I love how you just turned the interview around and started interviewing us. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like um, it's horrible. Like fucking Instagram just blocked the Canadian news. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Instagram yeah. is not letting the Canadian news be shown because basically like Canada made some law where they were like, um, you guys have to pay us. Like when, when like people are clicking through like to Canadian news outlets, is that correct? What happened? No. Okay, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought happened too. So, Jay, well, please. The, the government said that um, tech companies would have to pay news platforms. Okay, not the oh, government okay. itself. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. For the news right. that they are that using. They're, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that makes more sense. But basically, yeah. So, and then you know, like the evil tech overlords were like, "Fuck you," and just blocked new, all news <gasps> in Canada. Because, it's like fucking insane, man. Because you their know? whole that premise is... is that that whatever content is on like social media is just for them to profit off of, and the idea that they should have to pay for any of the content that is put on social media is just like totally alien to them and they refuse to do it but the fact that they can literally block the fucking canadian news yeah is so dystopian and so insane and like frightening to me and like out of control like i'm like you guys have way too much power yeah. and like the social impact of that is so huge you know because people get most of their news and most of their information from being on social media now so that is very disturbing and yeah i struggle with this a lot because being an entirely independent artist like writer like I feel that I I have a lot of freedom in certain ways because I can do whatever I want I don't have to like answer to presses or editors who are telling me what Mm -hmm. to do the fact that I'm canceled did not tank me because I am not like I you know I got dropped by a press but it doesn't matter because most of my money comes from my zines so 
like in many ways, I love that I'm an independent writer and it gives me a huge amount of freedom. But the downside of it is that my income comes entirely through my audience and my main way of connecting with my audience is through social media. And like, if I don't post on social media, I really don't get sales. So yeah, it's completely fucked. And definitely like the thing about them just blocking the news um, in the country that I live in um, is a bit of a fucking like final straw for me, except that there is nowhere else to go, you know, because they've just cornered it so completely. And like they, you know, this, this medium has become like the most important way of just connecting in any way with anybody. Right. And yeah. And yet it is owned by like three evil Americans. Um, and I don't know what the fuck to do about that. You know what I mean? Like what, yeah. like what do you do about that? I don't know. Um, I yeah. honestly am hoping that like the sort of like insanity of it all will eventually cause it to kind of like crumble in some way, but I don't know if or when that's going to happen. And it stresses me out a lot and I hate it. And um, I also, I have like fucking, you know, I'm an addict and like the, the fucking slot machine, um, like algorithm like yes makes my brain like melt you know and like i can't even use tiktok because i'll just like sit there for like nine hours you know like Same. um i can't even like look at it you know um and an instagram is like yeah like i can get sucked into instagram for a long time too and yeah so long story short i hate it a lot um but i also like i, I don't make all my money off zines or anything like i have to work a day job um and like zine royalty over here but uh <laughs> you know like i sell i sell zines and like stickers and stuff and like whatever um and my and you know i try to direct people to my actual like website mm-hmm. like where i put my writing and people can like right. tip me on the website uh, which is really awesome when they do that um but yeah there's no way to do that without social media like what would i do stand in the fucking corner yeah. like maybe maybe i should I know. you know honestly but well it's interesting because I have been making zines for a lot longer than I have been on social media. So, but I didn't make a living off of it, but I did have like a, I had an audience, you know? So I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about like, you know, things like Patreon and Substack and like I'm trying really hard to build my Substack, like, like subscribers to be like even anywhere in the ballpark range of like what my Instagram is so that I can reach people um, not just on fucking Instagram, you know, and to have people engaging, um, yeah. with my work there more. Substack is cool. I just wish they wouldn't send me 15 emails an hour. Because maybe that's fair. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I think maybe you can unsubscribe from that. Um, okay. So, baby, talk to us about cancel culture. What do you think? I think it's bad, you guys. Okay, I don't bold, like bold. it. <laughs> I know. Spicy, very spicy. Uh, I mean, yeah. So um, I, I've talked in my zines about how, you know, in a past life, I was very, very subscribed to the, you know, identitarian social justice worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, you know, it was a slow and painful process of um, coming away from that. And absolutely, my experiences with cancel culture, both um, you know, witnessing it happening to people around me, and then um, also in college, I I was kind of soft canceled, is what I would mm. say. I was like the the small scale liberal arts school version where it, it didn't happen so much online and like the basis of it was so um patently ridiculous and bullshit that like it it almost couldn't come out into the open but it was very much there um and yeah just realizing the degree of like cruelty and um disingenuousness of people, you know, espousing certain values that they don't actually believe in, um, all was a, a huge wake up call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you've written about how you're a socialist who used to be an identitarian. Like, 
do you want to drag that out a bit more for us? Tell us like what happened to change yeah. your mind, like what what kind of experiences or what kind of intellectual shift, you know, happened for you? Yeah, totally. Um <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I basically followed that worldview, I think, to to the ends of the earth and to the edge of my sanity. And that's what it took me to realize, like, holy shit, um, this is making me sick. I Relatable. literally, yeah, I literally want to die because of the things that I believe are inevitably true about the world. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I just, I realized, like, at a certain point, okay, well, I can choose to remain in this worldview and not want to be alive, or I can choose, you know, to reconnect with this deep desire to survive and live in myself. And that requires me to give up this worldview. Um, and thankfully, uh, that's the path that I chose. Um, and thank God that I did. Uh, so I think it was just like the, the depths of, um, of my misery and the necessity to like leave it that ultimately led me to it. And then again, yeah, just uh, being on the receiving end of just insane behavior that I think I was like too naive to realize mm. there were people who would behave in those ways. Um, and I thought at the time when I was like very in social justice world, um, I assumed that because we believed, you know, uh, quote unquote, the same things politically that we also like, you know, had the same values um, and realized that, no, actually, there are a lot of people who um, basically identitarianism is like a, a glorified popularity contest to them mm. and it's like the in worldview and so they're just like going with it and using it to kind of like get to the top of the whatever tiny small scale social hierarchy um with really no regard for like politically what would actually make a difference for the majority of people so yeah those were some of the things that uh led me out of that out of that world it strikes me that you are very grounded, though, in your principles and your beliefs, because I think a lot of people, when they hit that rock bottom crisis that you're describing, because many people do, right? They reach a point yeah. where they're just like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is insane. And they don't know what to think. They kind of go online searching. And this is the point where we sometimes lose people to the right, because mm -hmm. they go looking and they find like, I don't know. Jordan Peterson or certain people right. like that who are saying like the Marxists are coming after us or something like that I don't know something like that <laughs> yeah, and that's basically what you're saying yeah. <laughs> yeah and so like and then they they kind of go down that road but you you are a socialist like you stayed on the left and yeah. in fact maybe moved further left or like developed yes. your your socialist <laughs> politics in a more like meaningful <laughs> way so do you have a sense of like how and why that's how it played out for you Oh my God. I mean, honestly, um, I'm blessed to have amazing parents is mm. like what I would say. Um, my parents are both really smart and, um, I, I, I didn't know this growing up, but uh, apparently I was raised by Marxists, you guys. And I only found this out after I basically left identitarian world, um, and was like, mom dad <laughs> some really fucked up shit happened and they were like here's some adolf reed to take Stop a look at yeah Yo. yeah my, my parents turned me on to adolf Stop reed up. yo yeah. hell yeah get your parents on the pod <laughs> i know yeah Shout out mom that. And dad. <laughs> yeah wow but it was it was amazing because um i mean right and also just like again shout out parents for being, you know, wise people who watched me go through this mm. time in life where I was believing all sorts of crazy shit and was clearly miserable. And then like being there on the other end of it with, you know, some knowledge that they maybe had from being uh, involved politically before I was alive. Um, <laughs> so that was that was hugely influential it was like I, I didn't have to skip a beat between like okay well i guess this is what the left is to like oh fuck this shit 
oh good like here's this other thing oh, I love so that. yeah I, I was really lucky amazing um so at our at our event in Portland, you you read a bunch of pieces that were great. You're very funny as well. Your first piece was very funny. Um, you. But you also read a piece um, where you talked about being mixed race and the crazy place that uh, identitarianism took you with regard to that because of the way that race is talked about in identitarianism. So you want to talk a little bit about what you were writing about in that piece. Yeah, so that piece, um, for anyone who who doesn't know, is called Outside In OCD Phenotype Freak. Uh, And it's basically about how I lost my fucking mind um, in identitarianism um, because, uh, yeah, of just this, like, extreme hyper-attention to um, racial identity in a Mm -hmm. way that... doesn't fucking work for anyone who's like either you know ethnically or racially ambiguous or like mixed Mm -hmm. has parents that you know have different racial backgrounds um which now I'm just like dude anything that like causes a mixed person uh drama and like self-loathing over who their parents are is obviously fucking racist Mm. like that is so dumb it should not be a thing it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be a thing it shouldn't be a big deal like we shouldn't have to make it an outsized portion of our identities or who we are like i actually want to live in a world where like i don't know people can you know be mixed and like not give a fuck and not Mm -hmm. think about it like people mm-hmm. shouldn't have to fucking think about it but in that worldview you're expected to just like have the perfect narrative of where you come from and who you are and like where you fall in the racial hierarchy uh it gets into like weird blood quantum mm-hmm. territory of like who is considered in this racial box versus that one and like if you go into the wrong one then you're like a really evil bad person mm-hmm. um and and yeah i mean i have had severe social anxiety for like my entire adult life um uh, or even you know as a kid and adding that ideology um was just a fucking nightmare for me so that's what that piece was about mm. well thank you for sharing that and everybody should go and check out baby's names to actually read it which one is it in again that's in Rude Awakenings Volume 1. Okay, great. Nice. Yeah, I really liked that piece, too. It really uh, really resonated. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm... I, I like that you're that you're talking about it, you know? Like, I think that people really need to be... Um, and I, I hate the idea of people sort of, like, trying to figure out what their correct racial classification is, yeah. you know, in order to fit into, like, the left. <laughs> where we are, yeah like That's where insane. we are supposed to be like abolishing the necessity of such a thing as a racial classification yeah I think in the piece you say something that is just like very spot on where you're talking about how like actually for as much as like identitarians are like basically you know there's all this discourse around like your white passing or you're like white adjacent or like you have a proximity to whiteness um that is thrown at people who are mixed um And so it's like, you have to like either hardcore define yourself like as racialized or you have to like divest from that and like declare that you're white privilege or something. But you were talking about how like actually like mixed identity and the fact that the way that you're read like changes from context to context, depending on like who's looking at you and depending on their Mm -hmm. like their context and like the way that they see the world, that that actually reveals that like race is fake and that like it's a social construction that happens through the way that people are categorized and read. And I was like, wow, very like, well done. (laughs) Thank you. Right. And I think that's a perfect example too, of like a moment where in this, in, you know, identitarian ideology, it's like, there are these unthinkable thoughts. Mm. There are these things that don't fit perfectly into the ideology. And so we are, we try to like, you know, strip them from our consciousness when really, if you look at what's actually happening and you 
see it for what it is, it can reveal something really interesting and important. And I think mm -hmm. that this is a perfect example of like, oh, maybe there's actually something interesting going on from the fact that like, there are some people who like, people actually can't agree on like, right. what quote unquote, racial category they should be in. And yeah. I don't know, just approaching those moments with curiosity instead of shutting them down. Totally, totally. It reminds me of this, um, this kind of like trend that that was taking off in like ultra ultra woke world of um segregating like dance floors and like oh parties and stuff by race you know <laughs> and being like you know like black people to the front and then like white people to the back and i've made like jokes about sort of like how you would need like a giant document to sort of like tell people like wit like how far forward they're allowed to be like you know like where to like turkish people go or like whatever you know um and uh but yeah like if if you're like mixed race and you're like you know you could be quote-unquote mistaken for like a white person or whatever you know like like and you go hang out in the black corner or something you know like it's it's just like people people could be getting like mad at you and then and there's this like insane um capacity for drama resulting from like segregation yes. not going right you know or like people people standing out um or like you know transgressing segregated racial boundaries right mm -hmm. and it's just like the idea that we're even like discussing such a thing in 2023 is absolutely fucking mind-blowing and like insane you know and it is not the far right who is suggesting anything like this it's it's like yeah. people who think they're leftists you know oh. it's like absolutely just like the weirdest fucking um plot twist it is it, i mean it's absolutely wild and uh I, I was someone who like really went hard honestly in college on we need racially segregated spaces like i really fucking believed that um and you know it it makes me sad to think about because I think it betrays just like a, a sense of just real hopelessness over like the idea that we can connect across difference, yeah. that like mm -hmm. we are capable of having compassion and like real solid relationships with people who are different from ourselves. And that's a fucking bummer. And I really don't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about that. So like now that you're a socialist, like what what are your politics like what what do you believe about this kind of thing and also like the rest of everything like um what what's your what's on your wish list as a as a as a socialist now yeah i mean just uh really fucking basic shit is <laughs> like Yo, it's true. so simple it's so fucking simple it's just like you know how can we make life easier for most of us it's just like, what are the super essential, but like unsexy things that we need to survive as human beings? We need shelter. We need food. We need health care. Like we need a way to get around between places. And I just think that, you know, anything that human beings need in order to survive should be seen as too precious to put under a profit motive. Yeah. We should just value human life to the point that we wouldn't allow that to happen because of course everybody deserves to be able to live. Yes, um, hell yeah. Yeah, so just like, I don't know, uh, a universal healthcare, like just a robust social safety network in all of the ways, uh, investing in, you know, public transportation. Um, uh, fucking let's make a wealth cap. Because I just don't believe that there's like really a an ethical way for people to have a billion dollars. I think that it should be impossible for that to happen. And the money that would make somebody a billionaire should just be, you know, invested into the public commons. Yes. And do yeah. you think that the public commons should be segregated? <laughs> no, I do not. All right. On record. <laughs> Baby Montoya, racist. Um, so, okay. So, like, what is it like living in Portland? We want to know. Oh, my God. I We're know. Worried. We are worried. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, you know, sometimes I think about it and feel very 
just scared and on edge because uh, people can be crazy here. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like our, you know, the fucking canceled event that you guys had when you were on tour here is a perfect example of Portland, where like it was your most well attended Mm -hmm. event. People showed up and it was like such good vibes. Mm -hmm. And then. And then. It it was also (laughs) just like the only place, to my knowledge, on the tour that like real life, you know, haterism reared its head in just like a really disgusting way yeah and both of those things are true in portland like people are really hungry for these conversations and i i honestly think like the vast majority of people here aren't fucking into this ideology and aren't into cancel culture but like it's just the chilling effect of those those people here that are really going fucking hard um but but I also just you know I I want to say to fellow people in Portland who maybe are are feeling that chilling effect that me someone who is like very vocally anti cancel culture on the left in Portland yes I have had some disturbing and disappointing interactions with people locally but far 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 more often I've had interactions with people who are like thank god that like you're talking about this i thought i was the only one i thought everyone in portland was just like woke as fuck i'm so relieved so hashtag not all portlanders wow okay (laughs) that's bold um that's bold um so no but it's really true because it's like it's not surprising to me that both of those things happen in the same place so for anyone who hasn't already heard like we had our tires slashed and literal shit poured on our car in portland after the event um or i guess they did it during the event but they went around stocked my car and did that um and they also like ran into the venue and sprayed like a skunk smelling chemical like before it started So that's what they did in Portland. But at the same time, it's like literally was our most well-attended event. Like we initially were like, yeah, we'll just get a room for like 40 people. And it sold out in a day. So we're like, okay, I guess we'll get like the biggest room they have. And, you know, it was like a full event and everybody was like really cool and great. And like, you know, people always have this like idea that like canceled people are all like cis hat white men conservatives or something you know and I'm like actually like many of them are like subculturally like social justice and queer and stuff like that because they're inside like the world like when you're inside cancel culture it becomes very easy to become anti-cancel culture because cancel culture is scary so if you're inside (laughs) of it you might become scared and so like it makes sense that people who are like inside cancel culture like in the heart of the beast would be having these thoughts and questions and be looking for people who are you know challenging this stuff yeah I mean the kinds of people who are like sort of like traditionally opposed to woke world you know are like they don't even understand like like 90% of what Clementine and I like even say. No, they can't even <laughs> right. understand us because of our like uh vocal fry. Yeah. They listen to us <laughs> for like five seconds and like turn that fucking shit off. Um, <laughs> um, what the fuck is a pod? Um yeah. Okay, baby, baby. Um what advice do you have for artists who are trying to make it in Portland or outside Portland? Oh man, I mean, um, always learn things just keep fucking learning all just all of the things in whatever ways that you want don't listen to the haters uh and okay honestly like maybe the biggest thing is take the time to really get to know what you personally want don't get on a path to be an artist because it's the one that people you see people getting on or because it's the one that people told you is the one to get on find what you idiosyncratically weirdly want that nobody else can imagine and just like work backwards from there Mm. and that will just I don't know yield such richer results than going the direction that you see other people going just fucking do you man Mm, hell yeah love it and so um, for listeners who would like to know more about your work, where can they find and purchase and support your work? Yeah. So the 
best way to support my work is through Patreon. Um, and that's patreon.com slash Bebe Montoya. Uh, I also have an online shop that's open uh, a few times a year. So <laughs> I don't know. So keep, keep your ear out. Um, but uh, yeah, so, but I do, I release a Z, a new zine about every three months. Um, okay. And so you can find it on my website, babymontoya.com. And then I am also on Instagram uh, at Bebe Montoya underscore. Okay. So, so somebody else has your name and they took it. Yeah. What the fuck? Wow. Rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, baby. It was like such a pleasure to finally get you on the pod. We've wanted that for a while. Yeah, this was awesome. It was so great to talk to both of you. You rock. You rock. So everybody, yeah, check out Baby. Definitely if you're on the Howl Hole of Instagram, give a follow. And we will put all the links in the bio. I mean, I just said in the bio. Wow. <laughs> that's like that's that's the Instagram brand. That's the Instagram brand. It's like a like a twitch. Um yes. so it won't be in the bio. So don't go there. It will be in the show notes. Yes. Um, but thank you, baby, and uh we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much.